welcome everyone to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We are proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I have the honor of speaking to award-winning author and my colleague in the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, the fabulous Jennifer Ann Gordon, who hosts Vox Vomitus and will soon be joining my show as an ongoing guest host with Things That Scare Jennifer to Death. It's going to be so much fun. (laughs) Hi, Jennifer. Welcome. Hi, Pam. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm thrilled to have you here. You know, I love talking to you. Most times it's either we're texting or on the phone together. Exactly. And I feel like I should be more professional every once in a while than just us. It's us, you know. It's us. This is our family. This is our first interview together. I know. This is our family. You know, I want to jump right to it because I want um, listeners and viewers to know that you not only are a writer and a host, you have such an incredible curriculum vitae. Your, your, your catalog is so amazing. You are a prevention, a professional dancer. You had a dance studio before COVID. You are a mixed media artist. You're a photographer. You are a muse, I know to many. You are you host several podcasts and you write dark Victoriana and, and horror. You know, it amazes me all your creative aspects, but somehow they're all woven together. Tell me what you wanted to do when you were young. I was torn between, this is a great question. Uh, I was torn between being a actress or a dancer or a detective slash FBI agent. Like I, I, I thought like I wanted to solve crimes and be, I didn't know what it was, but like a forensic psychologist. And I still wanted to be that for many years until I realized I had to do things like run a mile and I had to like train really hard to be in the police academy. And I was like, Ooh, those things I don't want to do at all. I don't want to run. And uh, so then, and then I thought, like, look at blood and then look at blood. And then like, <laughs> what if there's an eyeball thing? Right. Uh, what if it's like a hurt animal, like all of these things. Um, and then when I went to college the first time before I switched to an art school, I took a lot of psychology classes and again, wanted to really get into like abnormal psychology and what makes, uh, you know, criminals tick or what makes people into monsters, I guess. But again, it got to a point where I'd have to take a math class. And every time I got to that point, I just switched majors to something else <laughs> there you until, go. I, I, until I finally couldn't put off math any longer. And then I just switched colleges completely and went to a fine arts college and majored in acting. So have you acted in the past? I have. Um, so I went to the New Hampshire Institute of Art for theater and I acted for quite a few years with a theater company, a professional theater company called New Art Theater. Um, also at the large, one of the largest regional theaters in New England, the Palace Theater in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, I worked with them quite a bit and I did a little bit of community theater, but mainly professional. Uh, so yeah, I loved it. And what made you change professions again or switch your artistic endeavors to something a little bit different? Well, actually, I left New England. I moved to the Midwest for uh, about 12 years. And when I got to the Midwest, I really didn't know anybody. I didn't know very many people. I didn't know the theater scene. And I, I just kind of like became a little bit of a hermit. And that's when I started concentrating on art 
uh, and painting and things like that. And I had a very successful Etsy shop and I sold mixed media art that was uh, Victorian based. And I do have a collection, a book collection out of all of those paintings I did during those years, which is called Victoriana. It's available everywhere. Um, so I did that for many years and then uh, I missed performing and I missed dance and theater. And that's when I took my very first ballroom dance lesson and met my now husband, uh, who, by the way, is my, my producer. <laughs> I know. I was like, I was like, who's your producer? Who is Roman? He is right. weirdly in the background of this interview right now. <laughs> he is indeed. Thank you, Roman. Um, so you two, I, well, first of all, I want to say you couldn't find an arts or a theater scene or an art scene in Ohio. Is there actually an art scene or theater scene in the Midwest? Um, in Columbus, there is. Um, we did a lot of dance performing in and around Columbus. There is an art college and a huge university, the University of Ohio, or no, Ohio State University, sorry, I switched schools. They're both in Columbus. So it does produce an awful lot of young, eager performers. So there is a an art scene there. I, I wouldn't say it's bustling. It wasn't bustling when I was there, but there was a lot of opportunities. There was a ton of galleries and a ton of little clubs that were always hosting strange performances and right. burlesque performances and um, art festivals where Roman and I could do like one hour dance pieces that were all improvisational and strange. And we definitely were more into like performance art at that time. Well, I, I, when I picture the Midwest and especially Ohio State University, I'm thinking football, you know. Yeah, and, well, that's pretty um, much it. Yeah, but. yeah. So you also do photography. Yes. And I've looked at some of your photographs, and they're very dark, and they're very emo, and they're very... <laughs> I don't, I don't know. They're, they are Victorian in nature, but you like old places, correct? Yes. I very specifically love abandoned places. And when I lived in the Midwest, more so than when I'm here now in New Hampshire, uh, I would do a lot of urban exploring. My uh, Roman and I would, you know, break into places and like old, uh, poor houses and, uh, abandoned hotels and abandoned houses and things like that. Um, and we actually, we've done a road trip to visit different Victorian era mental institutions and prisons. Wow. So those are the things I love to photograph. Um, it's kind of why I love Europe so much because everything there is old and kind of decaying yeah. and could be haunted. Yes. So yes, I love that. Absolutely true. And then you changed again and you were writing. Now I know you've written all along, but yeah. what drove you to start writing um, Victoriana and, and horror? Because you are an award-winning author in the horror uh, genre, which is making such a huge comeback right now. I, I mean, more and more, I know you've interviewed a lot of really great horror writers, Josh Mallerman on your show. You've, you've just talked to a lot of people. It's been great. Why, why have you? Why did you decide to write? Why did I decide to write? Um, you know, so the first book I wrote was Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, and that is the book that uh, not only won the Authors on the Air Award for the Best Horror Novel of 2020, it also won the Kindle Award for Best Horror and Suspense of 2020, and a couple other finalists things. 
that book, Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, I thought of it way back when I was in college, and I, I thought of it as a, a three-person show. And I thought the, the core idea of that show was going to be what happens if a man gets away with murder, but he, for the past 60 years of his life until he's now a, a very old man, if he's been haunted quite literally by the ghost of the woman he murdered. So that was my core idea of this play. Um, but then it, it just, to me, I wanted the ghost to be incredibly visceral and ethereal and wet. And I thought it would just be almost impossible for me on no budget and not having a professional theater company to stage this play. Right. So the story started then and it just kind of lived in my head. Uh, when I was writing independent comics back in Ohio, I tried to find a graphic artist because I thought maybe it would be a good graphic novel, but I, again, I couldn't find the right person. And then I don't know. I just about four years ago, I got very tired of telling myself I couldn't do things. And I sat down at the computer and I said, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to write. I don't know if beautiful, frightening and silent is a poem. Is it a short story? Is it a novella? I don't know what it is. But I, I, it, I knew it had been in my head for way too long, and I, I had to get the story out. So I, I started writing, and I keep telling people that it took twenty years and then three months to write. But twenty years of me telling the story to myself right. in my head every day. But it's a continuum on the creative process line. There, yes. you know, this it just seems like the next natural thing. I know that you are enjoying writing. I know that you're you know, that you always have ideas floating around in your head. You and I have spoken hours about ideas and they're all terrific. Is there something you still want to do that you haven't tried yet? Oh, just like artistically in general or sure. anything? Um, I don't want to say no, because I probably just haven't realized it yet. I've always wanted to be a private detective. So I'll have say I. that. So yeah. have I. always. So I told you we were, we were, our DNA yeah. is mixed up somewhere. Yeah. I had yeah. A, a dance student for a few years who was a former FBI agent and he had retired. And every lesson I was just like, let's start a private detective business. <laughs> like you can do all the business stuff and I'll just be like the girl in the bar snapping pictures of cheating husbands. <laughs> he was just like, it's, it's more than that. Like, I'll figure it out. <laughs> That's so funny. I'm easily trainable. There you go. <laughs> Your newest book, let's see it, is called Pretty Ugly. And interestingly enough, you st it's a beautiful cover too, by the way. Thank you. Now, I want hold it up just a little bit longer for, for me, please. I want everyone to notice that the woman on the cover is wearing a mask. Jennifer started writing this book. Thank you, doll. Thank you. Um, <laughs> before the pandemic. Yes. And... <laughs> Just a quinky dink, one of those, you know, things that you have no control over that the book released and then we were hit with, you know, an international pandemic. Yes, I, I always want people to know this is not a book about COVID, COVID. It and is it's not a book about the mask debate. It is or not the vaccination about, or the vaccination <laughs> debate. It's not about any of those things. Um, it is at its heart, a story about two broken people as they face what is probably the end of the world. Uh, it does involve a virus, but this is more of a flesh-eating bacteria virus 
type of thing. So the reason they wear masks is to hide the fact that if they did survive, now their faces are terribly scarred. Uh, so it's, it's kind of, it's a mask that it, it helps protect people against the virus in some ways, but mostly it's about hiding. And the story is about an Instagram influencer and a failed politician, two people who spent their entire lives pretending to be fictional versions of themselves. And then this virus hits and it ruins the one thing they had to protect them against the world, which is their face. Yeah. So, um, it's kind of, it's a story about these two people and how they figure out who they really are when they can't be who they've been pretending to be. That's such a great premise. You know, um, when you are sitting down to write, are you looking at the characters first or are you looking at the idea for a story? I, I don't know if because you are so visual and you are so creative, do you, see the character first or are you imagining the story first? Um, I think it depends. I, I will say for beautiful, frightening and silent and pretty ugly, I had a very vague concept of what I wanted it to be. So for pretty ugly, I knew that there would be a virus. I knew the very last scene. Interesting. I, I knew kind of one thing kind of in the middle where it transitions from being in the United States to a train in Italy. I knew like three things, but I had nothing. I had no idea who these people were until I started writing about them. Uh, so then it, it definitely becomes about the characters. I'm, def- I'm definitely more literary driven than plot driven. Um, yeah. It's it's about my characters. I write in an incredibly lyrical way, as you know. Uh, so it, it's a mixture of like poetry and prose. And the same thing, I think, with Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent. I had a concept. I had the what happens if a man gets away with murder. And then I added in a third character, which was um, a man who lost his wife and his son in a car accident. And what happens if these people, one person who's consumed with grief, a ghost who is consumed with revenge, and an 82-year-old sociopathic murderer who is still consumed with rage what if these three people get trapped in a house together and maybe that house is haunted so like i had a concept but then went with like who are these people and what makes them tick you said that you knew what the ending was and you had a kind of a spot in the middle and you sort of had a concept. Um, do you, when you're writing, do you write sequentially chapter one to two to three to four? I do. I do. And, and you know, that's always served me pretty well until recently. Now I'm working on a couple projects and I've gotten to this point where I'm like, Oh, I really want to do a flashback, but I can't because. It's not sequential. And I sometimes I'm holding myself back. Sometimes I just have to open up a different word document and kind of as my show title calls it Vox Vominus, I just have to word vomit out right. into a different document. Right. Right. But I do try to write the story or the structure of the novel sequentially. Mm-hmm. I've to this date not really skipped around. I'm just curious because sometimes when I'm reading, like I just finished a book of a paranormal book, as a matter of fact, that flashback to before Christ and then, but was set in the present day, but the story was so relevant the way it 
jumped back and forth into the past. And then the epilogue was into the future and it worked. It doesn't always work. It doesn't always work. Sometimes you're like, (laughs) what in the heck? But there was a purpose to it going back. It it was historically accurate, which was really nice. But um, there, when I think when readers can see the purpose for a flashback and, and, you know, what has driven the writer to do that. If it, if it's cohesive, when it works, it works beautifully. Exactly. I will say, you know, I have flashbacks in my book, Beautiful, Frightening and Silent, and they're very strategic. Right. There's just a few and they, I, you know, would like, will fight it to the death. They were necessary and they were necessary at the moments that I gave you a flashback. Right. You're not Um, doing paragraphs of flashback. You're doing just a snippet of time to give it context, correct? Yes. Or every once in a while, I'll do like um, a chapter or an an interlude. I see. As as if it's music. There's like a little separate section that can kind of float above the rest of the story. Interesting. But it's, it's needed. When you sit down to write, are you completely zoned into what you're doing? Do you need peace? I know that in your new house, you have your writing attic, your, your yeah. turret. Tower. Yes, your I am tower. a turret. I'm like the lady of Shalott. You really are. <laughs> um, has it always been like that for you? Can you block out ambient no. noise easily? No, no. Um, for many years, I was living... Uh, we were living with my mom and, uh, you know, a cat and two birds and a dog and, uh, you know, there's a lot going on, a busy road. So I would be locked in the bedroom. Normally I would have headphones in with white noise playing because I need something to kind of block it out. I, I don't do well with distraction. I'm not one of those writers that can write in front of the TV, like half watching a movie, half half writing a novel. I know people who, who do that and I, I applaud them. I wish I could. Uh, I, are- I guess who tell me they listen to show tunes, you know, like <gasps> theatrical music. And I'm I thinking- couldn't do it because I'd be singing. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So you need absolute peace and quiet. Is scent a part of your writing process? Do you burn a candle or do you want totally neutral space? I need it neutral. I mean, I do, I don't mind the, the sound of like water, like waves uh-huh. would be fine. Rain is fine. Wind is fine. Uh, a fan, anything, but I don't, and I don't usually do music unless, unless I'm at the point in the book, a book where it's almost like a movie playing in my head. Yeah. And I think, I think if this was a movie, this is the song that would be playing during that scene. Interesting. Then I'll, then I'll play that specific song and, and pound up the scene. I'll just put do this you song do on playlists with your books, by the way? A little bit. Not a full playlist, but I usually have, I'll say, like four or five songs that are like the soundtrack songs. You know, um, you, as you know, I read a lot of books. And um, so in some books, they'll give the Spotify playlist that goes with each of the, each of the chapters. And what I have discovered from that is I don't know music anymore. I have no idea who half the people are. Um, I've never heard of them. I have to go to my YouTube channel or it's just Spotify and, and see if I like the music. And then I got to pray. I like it. Cause then it, it like kind of messes up the chapter for me. If I don't like it the music. Does. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know. I don't know contemporary music at all. At yeah. all, at all. So usually um, when I, if there is a song that's like part of my soundtrack, it's like, 
it's a classic that either everybody knows or they know a version of it. Sometimes I'll like hook onto a cover version of a song. Right, right. But, but normally Speaking it's music. I, I, I've asked this before in when I post on Facebook, but you know, if you had to choose three albums, music albums, which would you choose? I would choose the soundtrack to Les Miserables. I would choose Damien Rice's O. And, oh, golly, uh, Johnny Cash. Wow. The, I feel like it's one of his, one of the albums he did right before he died. I want to say it was called either The Man in Black. No, it wasn't The Man in Black. I can't remember the name of the album, but it was the one where he covered Hurt and, uh, you know, all of those like contemporary songs that he did in his very beautiful Johnny Cash way. How fun. I have very eclectic tastes in music too. So I can listen to probably anything. I don't care how loud it's blasting. If I'm reading, I don't hear it. I don't even notice it. So, uh, you know, unless I stuck, uh, earbuds in and then I wouldn't be able to read because I'd yeah. be listening to the music. I want to talk to you a little bit about craft. You are kind of an all genre girl, but with the, a few exceptions, I know you're not a romance fan. Um, but, you are a fan of really interesting crime fiction as yes. well as horror and suspense and speculative fiction and all. Is there a meetup between horror and crime someplace? Do I, they cross over? To me, they do. I feel like they're kissing cousins because, I mean, I love all horror, monsters, vampires, werewolves, all of it. I love it. But what I write, like what I really love, the stuff that speaks to my soul is when the, the monster is a person and maybe they're a person because a person. Yeah. it's always a person. Yeah. And, and I also love the idea of like, maybe the ghost isn't a ghost. Maybe it's memory or maybe it's a hallucination. So I, I try to tell people, I'm like, I always write, there's a ghost in every book I've ever written and probably ever will write, but. Sometimes it's not a ghost. Sometimes it's just a memory. So to me, I mean, people, it, like I said, when I was little, I wanted to be an FBI agent. I wanted right. to be a, a, an actress. So I'm still somewhere between yeah. trying to figure out what make people tick. People tick, yeah. Well, in Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, obviously, you know, you're looking at this 82-year-old murderer. There is the crime right there, and his rage is still there, and there are his victims coming forward. So you've you've crossed over pretty well on that. I haven't read Pretty Ugly yet. I don't know if you if you talk about where the virus started, if it was just happening in nature or, or whatever. But but um, can you be a crime fiction writer who does horror or a horror writer who also does crime fiction? I think you can. I mean, I, I definitely think you can. I mean, if you read Paul Tremblay, he's an amazing yeah. horror author. Uh, but his first two novels, The Little Sleep and No Sleep Till Wonderland, are incredible crime fiction. Yes, they and are. even his novel Cabin at the End of the World, there's a crime aspect there. Right. And, you know, so, I mean, to me, we'll say um, Silence of the Lambs. Is that a horror movie or is that a crime movie? Right. That's it's, true. It's both. It's Hannibal. Different. Is that horror or crime? And that's, and that's kind of where I, 
I want to be that sweet spot somewhere in that dark, mucky, messy, beautiful world. Horror to you is not necessarily ghosts and and goblins and things like that. Horror to you is a much broader genre, I'm assuming. Yeah, to me, horror is fear and what you're what I'm personally afraid of. Right. And right. sometimes I'm afraid of a ghost, but other times I'm afraid of whoever's walking behind me on a on a street and I'm the yeah. only person there. Sometimes I'm just afraid because I walk into a house and the wallpaper doesn't seem right. And you know, and other times I'm just like petrified that a serial killer has been watching all of my podcasts and now knows where I live. You know, it's just like yeah. like these very specific things. Figures. Yeah. And I think and I think horror is just is this something that horrifies you? Is it something that horrifies the reader? I think crime and horror can be the same thing. I mean they Stephen King does it all the time too. It's like Well that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I had, you know, I had, I have a very narrow understanding of horror because it's not something that, I mean, listen, I'll be honest. When Vincent Price was making black and white films, I couldn't even watch those. <laughs> Bella Lugosi and all that. You know, those, those things make me crazy. I get too afraid of those. And I, and I will admit the one Stephen King movie I watched was Carrie. But other than that, you know, it's, but have you seen Shawshank Redemption or the green? I have. So see, I know. I know things can be horrifying. I understand what you're saying now. Things can be horrifying, and not and still be crime, and still be. I mean, they can be horrifying and still be like literary fiction because I know that Pretty Ugly and A Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent have always like they they are usually like kind of lumped into literary fiction or even grief fiction or or books about trauma. But they they fall in like the horror place, the yeah. horror umbrella. Even some science fiction does too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you know it's horror is a big category with a bad reputation sometimes. You know, maybe that's right, and I don't know. And and excuse my ignorance because I really don't know that much about it. A lot of horror is derived from comics, comic or graphic uh, novels, isn't it? Um, a lot of current horror is, can stem from there. Yes, yeah. there's a lot of really good uh, horror comics. Interesting, interesting. Tell us what's new for you. What are you doing these days and what can we look forward to seeing from you? Well, I am working on one top secret project that I can't really discuss, but I am excited about it. Good. Um, and I'm working on another Usually I don't work on two things at once, but I'm also working on uh, a bit of a novella, which combines the idea of a haunted house along with um, the memories of what it's like to be uh, giving elder care to somebody who has Alzheimer's. So the story is really, is are these delusions, Alzheimer's delusions, or is it a haunted house? And what happens if... Yeah, so I, I like to play with that. Is it mental illness? is it a ghost thing a lot in my writing? So this is kind of a a story told in vignettes. You are also going to come on and and cross over to authors on the air every so often. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited about that. What are we going to be talking about here here from you? What are you going to be talking about? Um, So the show, my, uh, you know, my offshoot of authors on the air will be called don't scare Jennifer to death. 
And it's a take on the old movie, Don't Scare Jessica to Death, or Let's Scare Jessica to Death. And I will be talking not only with horror writers, but also with true crime authors, maybe some police officers, some detectives, maybe a mortician or two about all sorts of things in the very dark genre of what makes people tick. (laughs) I love it. And I'm so glad. Would you show your book again, please? Um, Friends, the, the book is called Pretty Ugly. You can find it. There is a bookstore near you. Denton's, is that right? Uh, Gibson's Gibson's that you can go ahead and get signed copies from. Otherwise you can go to your usual online bookseller and buy it. Um, I encourage you to go to Jennifer's website. It is spectacular. Uh, Jennifer You also are on uh, weekly now on Vox Vomitus, which is yes. part of the authors on the air global radio network where Jennifer and her Vox Vixen co-host, Allison Hubbard, Martin uh, speak to, Writers about the things that go wrong, and sometimes they go horribly wrong. Sometimes they go horribly in the, wrong. In the writer's <laughs> room. So, you know, when you're when you're forty thousand words into a book and you go, "Well, this is just crap," and you have to throw it away. I mean, yeah. that would horrify me. I was gonna say that's the true horror story, that's right there. For a writer, it would be right. Um, and um, I hope that we. Where else can we find you in social media? I am. So if you go to my website, as you so lovely said, it was beautiful. Um, JenniferAnnGordon.com. There are links to my Instagram, my Facebook, my Twitter. I'm also on an app called Slasher, which is like Facebook for horror lovers. And it's only available on your phone, but that's the Slasher app. So if you're a horror fan, you can go there. Um, I'm Jennifer Ann Gordon pretty much everywhere. Uh, and you'll see her photography her mixed media um all of her books you'll learn a little bit about it um you have a really interesting uh way of describing yourself your bio would you like to share that a little bit please oh um i i can never remember which version is on my website but i want to say i use the phrase uh she's a ghost who's scared of ghosts yeah <laughs> She she was a very quiet child. Great, <laughs> yeah. really strange, curly haired. <laughs> true. I wrote it like a little fairy tale. But go to my website; that'll force you to go there and absolutely. read it. Absolutely, and absolutely go by Voxomatus. It's a fun show. It is the top rated video cast in in the entire network. And yay! yay. And we have to. I also want to thank um our our, our producer Roman. Uh, Jennifer's husband, my my producer, and I want to thank all of you for paying attention and dropping by to visit with us. And thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Bye. Bye, everybody.